Jesus rises from the dinner table, takes off his robes, and wraps a linen towel around his waist. The guests would have been reclining on one elbow around a low table, which meant that Jesus would have crawled about between them, scooting along from one disciple to another in order to wash their dirt-scabbed feet. Not even a Hebrew slave would have been expected to perform such menial tasks, although a Gentile one may have been enlisted on occasion. Good hospitality required only that water be provided so that guests might wash their own feet. The rare exceptions in Scripture, three, are all acts by women. Abigail, who washes the feet of David's servants, and the unnamed woman who washes Jesus' feet in the home of Simon the Pharisee. After the resurrection, washing the feet of the saints is identified as the work of widows. It must have been shocking to see Jesus take up the towel. No wonder Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. He would spare Jesus the shame of such humble work. He would not allow Jesus to lower himself literally or figuratively to such a degrading level. While his resistance may sound like modesty, it is a form of pride. Like Peter, many of us resist vulnerability, preferring to remain in control, to choose which gifts we will accept. Jesus counters that those who cannot accept his simple gift of physical cleaning are in no position to receive the even more humbling cleansing of sin in his even more humiliating death on the cross. One of the rarest gifts we give one another, I believe, is the gift of our own vulnerability. Most of us are more comfortable giving, sharing, and caring for others than we are in receiving that care. We would typically rather be the one washing feet than having our own bathed. In a recent conversation over the death of a friend, another friend remarked that It was the way in which his friend needed him in the last couple of years that had most troubled and most transformed him. For years, it had been a pleasure to take the friend out to occasional dinners and to share their passion for study and prayer. As the friend became increasingly infirm, however, the care the other friend required became more mundane and less pleasurable. It was largely reduced to running errands and picking up supplies, often at inconvenient hours, and then finally altogether worse when a fierce bedbug infestation required weeks of hands-on work, clearing, sorting, and hauling away unsalvageable furniture. As his friend's capacity to care for himself and his environment declined, so my friend's caregiving became increasingly demanding and uncomfortably personal. (coughs) 
Only after his friend died was he able to recognize the transformation in his own life that his friend's profound dependence had effected. It had opened the doors to a much wider human experience, converted judgment into compassion, exposed the power of humility, and had left him with cherished friendships among people living in similar circumstances to his friend, people he might never have known. Where once his desire to help had been satiated by stalking the little free pantry, he now found himself hungry for meaningful connections among the neighbors he meant to feed. Is this what Jesus is trying to convey that last evening with his disciples? That authentic Christ-like service is not grounded in sharing what we have so much as it is in recognizing our own hunger for Christ and by participating in giving away that which we most long for. That service to others first involves vulnerability to him that allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to others is an essential part of serving in Jesus' name? Before Jesus commands his disciples to follow his example in washing one another's feet, he first insists that they experience what it is like to be on the receiving end of service. Unless we are aware of our own vulnerability, our care for others is in danger of coming across as condensation. And if we serve in condensation, may I do that again? Unless we are aware of our own vulnerability, our care for others is in danger of coming across as condescension. And if we serve in condescension, we will fail to transform our own lives into the likeness of the one in whose name we hope to serve. Our friend and parishioner Max Sutton reflected on this gift in one of the poems in his collection, Taking Was All I Had to Give, as he wrote to a grandson in his own age. Legacies to Owen, nearly 19. Since I, won't my, since I most likely won't have any money for my grandsons and will not foist old books upon you or undesired CDs, my best might be the moment on a steep bank by the roadside when I took your hand to keep from falling. After my offer of fresh grass to the horses, taking was all I had to give. You gave your steadiness and smiled, as if accepting a bequest. On the night before he died, Jesus entrusted the disciples and us to take up the holy and life-giving work that God had given him to do.
He placed his life into God's hands and his passion into ours. He did so not because he had faith in us, but because he needed us, and because he had faith that God would not abandon us to do that work alone. By kneeling at their feet, he was telling them and showing us that they could truly exercise that trust only if they could truly embrace what it meant to be the weakest and the most threatened of those around them. He was calling us into a relationship with God and with one another that is at the center of our shared identity as followers of Christ. They will know us by our love. It was his final gift, a legacy of vulnerability. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Accepting this, taking this, is really all we have to give to the one who gave us all. May all that we do and all that we are reflect his generous humility and his love. Amen.